I'm Dr. Carly Anderson, and you're listening to Stonecast. Somewhere in the darkness, there's a man they call the Skipper, fast asleep, dreaming of gold. Weeks before the sun does, even though he'd rather stay in bed, curses the cold in Minnesota. Why's it always so damn cold? He's got a job. You're listening to Stonecast, curling in the Twin Cities with Jordan Wickland and Christopher Lisney. Welcome, everybody, to Stonecast. We are broadcasting from the St. Paul Curling Club in the International Room slash the Board Room slash the Liquor Supply Cabinet. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, slash Chris, Crying Room. I'm, oh, the Crying Room, yeah. It used to be the Crying Room. I'm Chris Lisney. I'm here with Jordan Wickland. Hello. And uh, we have a very special guest, Dr. Carlin Anderson. Welcome, Carly. Hi. <laughs> All right. So those of you who don't know who Dr. Carlin Anderson is, Carlin is an odd name. <laughs> it's like George Carlin. Yeah. His surname. Apparently, my mom said in the baby book, it meant little champion. So. Oh, and you were <laughs> you were a little champion at UCLA, yeah. right? <laughs> All right, let me read some stuff. Carlin Anderson, Ph.D., L.P., C.M.P.C., whatever the heck that means, is a licensed psychologist who specializes in sports psychology. She's a certified mental performance consultant for the Association of Applied Sports Psychology and listed in the United States Olympic Committee Sports Psychology and Mental Training Registry. She currently helps direct the sports psychology services for the University of Minnesota Athletic Department, St. Thomas Athletics, and is the sports psychologist for the USA Curling National Team. Dr. Anderson assists with the national team's high-performance program. She was a staff member of Team USA at the 2018 Winter Olympic Games in Pyeongchang, South Korea, where the U.S. men's curling team won gold. At the Games, she received the United States Order of Ecos Medallion from the team members honoring her contribution for their success. So there you go. And that's why we had you on, because Richie was telling us all about how sports psychology has revolutionized American curling. I don't know about that. (laughs) Dr. Anderson, explain. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What do you have to say for yourself? I don't know about that, but I can say that of the teams and athletes that I have gotten the opportunity to work with, the curlers have been a pretty, um, what would be the word, like embracing group to sports psych. They, they're they pretty open to it. They're really conscientious of the mental side of performance, so they're a pretty fun group to work with, and the coaches as well. So, What's a hard group to, that you've worked with before? Well, I would just say there are some sports that are maybe a little more old school that don't put as much emphasis or appreciation on the mental side of their game, despite all sport, all performance, mm-hmm. right? Having a mental component to it. Yeah. So there's okay. a couple sports where you're kind of having to sell your value ah. <laughs> or helping them understand the, that the mental side's important. You know, when we talked on the phone, I asked you some questions about the University of Minnesota, who just beat Wisconsin. 
Oh, yeah. For the Axe, uh-huh. which was pretty exciting. And I asked you some specific sports. And, you, like, I know there's all sorts of confidentiality things. Yeah. But so I was just wondering, like, you always think of the big name sports, like football and basketball. But I wanted to know, like, swimming. And then you were like, I can't talk about that. <laughs> all the sports at the U of M have access to sports psychology. So all the there's like 700 athletes and all the individual athletes can come in and use sports psych. And a lot of the teams contract with sports psych to have mm. us do teamwork with them. So, mm. yeah, I would say a good good number of them use mm. sports psych and see value in it. We've interviewed Kim Rhymes, and she said she uh, has worked with you on her team. And she said you were... Uh, fantastic and wonderful but i can't imagine (laughs) her she's so positive anyways Mm -hmm. so how did you get into sports psychology so i actually was a gymnast growing up and i earned a scholarship to go to ucla and at ucla we had a sports psychologist in our athletic department and our coach was pretty into sports psychology and so we had a lot of individual sessions and team sessions and i had gone through a lot of adversity while i was there a couple knee surgeries and by the time i graduated I had really enjoyed our sports psychologist there. He was very good with our team, and we had won three national championships. And so when I left, I thought, I think there's something to this whole like mental side of sport hmm. thing, and I think I want to become a sports psychologist. I want to keep sport in what I do. And so I then that's what hmm. launched me into getting my degree in sports psych. Give us an anecdote. What were you told before taking the mat that you kind of, you know, that, that fan, that flame. I don't have anything in particular, but no. I, I do have a story. It was our senior year, and we were at the national championship. And in gymnastics, you have six people compete, and only five scores count. So you can have somebody fall, and you don't have to count their score. And we were up on our last event on floor, and my teammate, she was standing next to me. Our first person goes up, makes their floor routine. Second person goes up, makes their floor routine. Third, fourth, fifth person goes up and falls this was it the national championship we were gonna have to hit this routine and and make it to win so the pressure of the whole season was down to this my one teammate standing next to me and she was up to go and I remember thinking to myself kind of like a oh god (laughs) this is not gonna be good like oh my god there's a lot of pressure and she turns to me and just nonchalantly says huh I guess we're gonna have to do this the hard way And I remember thinking, like, that's why she's our anchor, is because mentally she thinks like that in these Mm. moments. And I'm over here thinking, you know, like, oh, shit. (laughs) And she goes up, hits the routine. We win the national championship. And and that moment stuck with me forever because I was like, there's a difference right there in Mm -hmm. in mentally and how you approach kind of tough pressure-filled moments. Mm. So, Were you and her in the same class or was she the same age? Yeah, yeah. At gymnastics is kind of, interestingly, I guess, the teams that have won national championships, there's only a handful of them. There's not very many over the decades. Yeah. I mean, maybe six or seven total. Sure. So it's not very so, well dispersed. So you were a UCLA athlete. And so and you decided while you're an athlete, I like this sports psychology, which I think sounds fascinating. What happened then? So then I moved to Texas from L.A. Well, I originally grew up in Seattle. Seattle to L.A., L.A. to Texas. Did my Ph.D. there. Where in Texas? North Texas, Denton. Hmm. Not familiar. Know it well. Y'all. No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really know where Denton was either until I moved there. <laughs> you're, in nor- you're in North Texas. Yeah. Living the high life north of Dallas. Going out in y'all. DFW. Fixing to go out. Fixing to go yeah, out. Yeah, you're not going. You're not getting ready to go out. You're fixing to go out. Wow. Mm-hmm. Holy smokes. And you're ordering a Coke. 
no matter what the pop is. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that before. Mm-hmm. So where are y'all headed? I always have to ask when people say they're in Texas, the where in Texas, because it's so big. Oh, yeah. Well, we were in North Texas. There were a lot of people who had never been to the ocean, never seen an ocean, and they're a coastal state, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like long drive down there. So, so yeah. where, where did your crew fix to go out? I don't really remember. We, we're, we're always looking for Dallas sponsorships area, here. So. That's a bad you know, sign if you don't remember going <laughs> Yeah. Boy. <laughs> I was curling last night, just for the record. I got home early, or like late, but I remembered. Yeah. We won. That's right. That's, that's good, Chris. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's all that matters is that you remember that. All right. So what happened after North Texas? So in psychology, a lot like medical school, you go and do like a residency or an internship. So I went to Wichita State. And was in their campus counseling center and did one day a week in athletics. And then... Oh, I bet that's super fun. Yeah. Shockers. <laughs> and then... What? They're the shockers? Yeah. They're probably on the list. They're probably on the <laughs> list, Jordan. <laughs> yeah. Wichita State. And then, yeah, my husband's from Minnesota. I came up here. So then after your internship, you do like a fellowship, a lot like medicine. Did my fellowship up here in Minnesota and then... My husband had opened a private practice in sports psychology, and after a couple of years working up here, I kind of got an opportunity to work at the U of M, and, and then now our company contracts with a lot of sport organizations. Yeah, so we ended up contracting with the U of M and a couple other smaller D3 athletic departments, and we contract with a couple of professional teams, and then we work in private practice with a lot of different athletes and performers, so we get a lot of college athletes, high school athletes, little kids, we get... You know, professional sailboaters, rock climbers, motocross, orchestra members, musical theater, business executives, wow. all sorts of, you know, performance is just performance. And although people will say like, oh, have you ever snowboarded or have you done my sport? Even if you haven't done their sport, the concepts of peak performance are all the hmm. same across across performance realms. So. So no, it's it's not uniform. But what questions are you asking when people come in just to sort of establish a base? Like, first of all, do you have a couch? Yeah, People some of our offices. Is it we leather do. couch? Some have a couches or oh. just like chairs. Yeah, how <laughs> much is your practice based on Sigmund Freud? <laughs> yeah. Did athletes tell you about their mothers? <laughs> some. <laughs> All right. You might, Jordan. Now we're getting <laughs> some. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think it's different for different athletes, but generally, like a first session with an athlete, I'll sit down with them to get to know them a little bit, get to hear. A little bit about their background. I want to hear and learn about kind of their goals in sport and things that they feel they're you know really good at, things that they feel they want to get better at, things I usually have them review best performances, worst performances, factors that contributed to their best and worst performances, things like that. Yeah. Cool. And then I just really build off of what it is they want to work on and, and then, you know, depending like with curlers, I'm able to actually you know, more often than not, or than other athletes, I'm able to watch competitions and, and you know, attend practices or things like that. So I can also hmm. pick up on what I'm seeing and give them feedback on stuff like that too. So do they always know you're there? Yeah. Oh, serious question. Yeah. I, I, had a, I was I recruited to go play tennis at a small school and the guy watched the entire state tournament and I had no idea he was there and our team qualified and I was there doing doubles as well. So I was oh, cool. pretty busy and tired and exhausted and failed miserably at both. I would say probably I think at that time when I was 18, it would not have been good for me to know he was there because I'd already met Brian Hinker and I was already interested in going to Luther and having him show up before, you know, opening serve would have probably freaked me out a little bit. 
But anyway, so. But that's, that's somebody that that's from. like a recruiter that's going to give you opportunity. Yeah. Right? Like there's a lot more to that than, than somebody like me showing up. And that's going to shift your focus, right? Like normally your focus would just be on playing tennis. Mm-hmm. In that case, you're going to notice part of your attention or focus is going to yeah. be on that recruiter being there, right? Absolutely. And then you're trying to play your tennis match with maybe only 70% of your focus that you would normally have. There, pro tip. That was awesome. There you go. <laughs> yeah. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so if we make you aware of that ahead of time, like, hey, you're going to have a distraction there, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a big distraction because it's going to have a lot of meaning and importance to it, then you can mentally go in prepared that when you notice that distraction, oh, yeah, I prepared for this, and I have a game plan for what I'm going to do to refocus myself. Hmm. I'm interested in the, you're talking about, you said that sometimes you speak to businessmen or women whatever executives types of things and i know that there's a whole realm of like executive level counseling but i work with an executive coach right now which i he's not a psychologist or anything he's a whiskey drinker it's interesting like when you think about what you're about to do like so we're really like we're doing we're trying to figure out some sales things in our business and so we're really thinking it through and then when you go into a meeting and you've already thought it through and he's talking about strategy and like you got to understand like there's only like three or four things outcomes that can happen so just think through each of those outcomes it's amazing when you have that time to do that as opposed to just saying like oh i have a sales call tomorrow i guess i'll jump on the call mhm mhm <laughs> like often with athletes they'll come um you ask like what would be maybe a topic or something that you might work on with an athlete, lots of times a common one is like, okay, if I just really don't want to feel so nervous or I get really nervous and I psych myself out or I feel like I lose my confidence sometimes. And if you ask athletes that come in and they say, oh, I just don't want to feel nervous anymore. Can you help me get rid of my nerves? The best thing to tell them really is you're not going to not have nerves, right? You're going to have nerves, especially in Olympic Games or something like that. You're gonna, your nerves are going to be there, so you're better off just planning for them preparing for the nerves to be there and having game planning Mm. what you're going to do to manage and respond to those nerves in a way that will keep your performance how you want it to be cool i would imagine there's a mix of strategies that do that right Mm -hmm. there's sort of like cold hard logic where we talk about what are the possible outcomes right are there visualization strategies or draw on a good experience in the past or like yeah, there's all kinds. We're really reaching here. so Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I think there's all kinds, and there's some that are going to be across the board helpful. Things like, you know, making sure you're you're slowing yourself down, taking, doing a deep breath. You know, those are that are going to calm the physiology of the body when you get kind of in a fight or flight mode or anxious. And then there's going to be other strategies that are going to be really unique to you, right? Like some athletes, when they get nervous, feel like they need to, you know, they want to listen to music to calm themselves down. Some want to, like, you know, shoot the shit with their teammates and tease and joke and make it light out there. Some are going to want to like really lean on their pre-shot, pre-performance routine, right? They're going to get into this real rhythm and routine and you kind of know they're doing their thing to help manage their nerves. So everybody's going to be really personal, I guess, with some of those strategies. But the goal is to get them thinking about it and planning ahead and then practicing it, right? So that that routine that they do or the strategies they use that you have them rehearse that. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. I just want to continue the the journey, and then we can get into Ben's questions. We have some uh, remote questions. So you started, you and your husband, Premier Sports Psychology, got connected to the university and all that. How did you get connected with USA Curling? Yeah, so in that overly long bio that you read, the United States Olympic Committee has a registry of sort of vetted, qualified 
professionals and they have a registry for sports psychologists. And so when an NGB, a national governing body of sport, comes to them and says, we need, you know, a chiropractor, a massage therapist, a dietitian, a sports psychologist, they will consult their registry to say, okay, you know, USA Curling national team program is based out of Minnesota. Okay, they need somebody in that area who is on our registry that we could recommend. I had worked with a lot of sports psychologists at the USOC or colleagues of mine, so they knew of me and said, would you be interested in working with this high performance program? They're kind of getting themselves up and running and they're interested in sports psych. And I said, I don't know anything about curling. Are they sure they want to work with me? Then, you know, Derek and the whole national team program was super receptive. And they were like, yeah, we'd be open and did an interview with them. And I think they were looking for somebody based, you know, close to being able to access athletes and whatnot. So Hmm. that was in summer of 2014, right after Sochi. Sure. They were trying to reorganize some things. From my understanding, again, I knew nothing about curling. So I had a steep learning curve those first couple years and now this is my fifth year second quad i suppose i realize now you make commitments in quads wow uh, so so i committed to that first quad and and then this we've been able to make again a lot of good changes i think for this next quad and i'm really honored and excited to be asked to be a part of it again so great it's been fun well, rewarding you're journey. certainly you're certainly a big cog in some you know the success i mean there, there was a lot of negativity after Sochi, mm-hmm. and then it seems like, I mean, there's obviously positivity now, but yeah. So, so hopefully, you know, you're doing a good job. <laughs> and I don't know if anybody <laughs> knew it. And I looked up what ICOS award was. The ICOS. ICOS, ICOS yeah. medallion. It's yeah. the order of ICOS, mm-hmm. and its names comes from ICOS of Tarenton, the first Olympic coach in Athens, Greece, wow. and it's like a the athletes. Trivia no- question, Jordan. Athletes, there you go. Absolutely, athletes <laughs> nominate someone who is important to their success, and so. Presumably, you were nominated by the curling team. Yeah. So American athletes that win a medal at the Olympics, get obviously, they get their gold medals at, at the games. But then they each athlete gets given an ECOS medallion to give to somebody that they felt was instrumental in their success at the Olympic Games. And so we had four, and they gave them to coaches and support staff. And it was super meaningful. Actually, probably one of the most meaningful things actually in in my professional career that I've ever received so yeah it was pretty cool so how'd that go down what were the circumstances around the Olympic arena or wherever you were staying how did they get a hold of you what was that scene at the Olympics I was with coaches and athletes as a staff person right right there the whole time so we had talked about that going into the games that we felt like that was going to be really important that I could have access to athletes that we could talk at any time you know that we could connect and so we did all pre and post game meetings together with coach Phil Jobnik and so in the post game after the the gold medal is is when they gave us those so it was really cool yeah do you have it hanging in your office Phil needed it for something for an event, and I lent it to him, so I just got it back, and it will be going back oh. to my office, yes. I was going to say, that, that medal's never coming back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we have a remote correspondence. Oh, cool. Correspondence. That's paper. Correspondent. Yeah. A remote oh. correspondent. <laughs> Correct. Ben asked, how does one recognize when one is entering or maybe already in a stressful situation and has maybe been exhibiting behaviors that one would not normally not do and then how do you recognize that and then maybe get out of it yeah okay so actually i'm i'm really glad he's asking this question about awareness because this is probably one of the biggest skills that i work with athletes on because you can't really change anything if you're not aware of it first right like if i twirl my hair but i don't know when i do it or why i do it or how i do it like good luck trying to get to change it right or stop doing that for I'm example. glad you're aware of it. yeah exactly yeah. So- you're terribly distracting <laughs> 
<laughs> so terminal hair twirler yeah, that carlin yeah so you got to help get them aware of it first right and there's a lot of ways of doing that it might be having them watch themselves it might be having them get feedback from others it might be having them reflect on their own performances having them reflect in the moment during performances and actually that is something i have found curlers probably don't do as much as other sports is they don't tend they tend to watch a lot of curling of others but they don't tend to review very much of their own games and their own performances and watch for their own body language how they communicate tone of voice you know location on on the sheet in comparison to teammates some of that stuff that actually i think contributes to performance but they don't tend to review like football players review game tape every you know every week a lot of sports do Yeah, I think that's something I try to bring a little bit with curling. I use audio equipment with them so I can hear them on the ice so that I can help improve and critique communication and some of that piece, those pieces. So increasing awareness, first and foremost, is going to be important. And then I think the more aware athletes are in the moment, now they have the the chance at least to intervene with themselves or to make changes and then you got to go into the skills right like okay now that we have awareness what are we going to do to try to intervene and then that comes down to teaching the skills practicing the skills getting those to be so uh, routine and on autopilot that they can do it under pressure when they're tired and you know when they're stressed on in I've, a high I, stress situation i find when i'm in a high stress situation <laughs> it's affecting my game if i just increase my yelling and swearing really it usually works. helps. Wow. Transfer. Transfer. <laughs> hmm. That was a good question. Yeah, that was a great and question. Good answer. Yeah. Stonecast is supported by our friends at the Once Upon a Crime Mystery Bookstore, 604 West 26th Street in Minneapolis. Not only do they have a fantastic collection of mysteries, thrillers, and crime novels, they host some of the best author events in the area. Check them out on the web at www.onceuponacrimebooks.com. That's www.onceuponacrimebooks.com. So we're now going to give you an opportunity to end your career. The end your career slash throw somebody under the bus segment. Oh, geez. Yeah. We call so, this uh, takeouts. Oh. Ta- takeout segment. Takeout. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, can you? Uh, do you have any like fun stories from the like the Schuster rink in the Olympics or leading up to the Olympics or anything? You know, in, anything interesting? I actually would say one of the highlight, truly one of my biggest takeaways from the Olympics was with Schuster's team. You know, that first week was a little rough, and it was about a twelve-hour period that team did a significant turnaround. Um, particularly, I was pretty impressed with John Schuster, and you know, I obviously work on the mental side with athletes. And truly what I saw him do in in a very short period of time on that stage was one of the most impressive things from the mental side of sport. And it was pretty cool to witness and and be a part of. So I credit it was pretty impressive. So maybe, I mean, this is the anecdote that appeared in all the papers that like, you know, that week, even in the New York Times, where he said he like went out on the beach or something and he like. (laughs) Looked at the water, and Sarah was out there, and he, he just said, "I'm sick of this. I'm sick he had of his losing." Isogenics shake something going shake. on. Can you offer any? I think what he said was there. There was like this little grassy knoll hill outside the the arena, and Ooh, the grassy knoll. Yeah, yeah. grassy knoll. <laughs> the editor would like that. I think you know he just kind of took some time to himself that night, and. My understanding is he sort of reflected on his previous Olympic experiences mm. and had felt they had, you know, never gone the way he really wanted them to go. And I think he felt like 
I'm going to write a new narrative. I want to tell a different story. And I know having his sons there was meaningful to him. And yeah, the next morning he had different place mentally. So yeah, it was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. Yeah, it was remarkable. I mean, where were you that were you? You weren't here the night they won the gold. No, I was at home. I was like really sick. I mean, I was like, you know, I wanted to come here, but I was really sick. And so I was at home and like, you know, Aaron was like, why are you staying up in like the middle of the night when you're sick? And I'm like, what? Yeah, I think that was maybe the international bond spiel. So I was here with like 200 other people upstairs and down at 4 a.m. going crazy. Yeah. It's a blast. And I do. I mean, I also I think the guys, the team really stayed mentally in it, too. And coach... You know, Phil Drobnik, I think, did a really awesome job coaching that team for the, for the two weeks that we were there. So, yeah. Was Nina Roth was the uh, women's mm-hmm. team? Did you also mm-hmm. would you work with mm-hmm. Nina and then uh, the Matt Hamiltons, Becca, yep. the Jamiltons or whatever? Yeah. So that must have been a different experience because they just didn't rise. I hate to say it that way. I mean, they they just didn't do as well as they probably wanted to do mm-hmm. or good, well or good. Well, well, they didn't do as well, well. as they wanted yeah, to. Something is good and something's done well. Right. That's a lot right out of the gates. I think they started competition two days before the opening ceremonies. Um, I think we, I remember us reflecting on how fast that week went. It was like whoosh, gone. Obviously, both first time to the Olympic Games. There were, I think, just a lot of dynamics there that that they were navigating for the first time. So I think, yeah, they would have liked to have done better. And and yet, I think at the same time, they had some things they felt like they were proud of while they were there. They're fun to work with as siblings, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. They seem super, super fun. Yeah, they're fun athletes. Um, yeah, I, Becca's got to be one of the most fun curlers to watch, I, from my perspective. I just, you know, just, you know, whatever. Do you find it different? Like, what do you have to do? Like, winning, like, breeds confidence, and people that are winning tend to, I think, perform better. And if you lose, like, it doesn't breed confidence. And, like, so there must be, like, a totally different angle that you have to do if, like, if a team is losing that stings more i think what do you do when a team is like on a losing track and you need to like pull them up yeah i think it's unique to the team of course you got to know them really well but a couple of kind of basic things is sometimes it's helpful to come back to like come back to what we know keep it simple come back to what do we enjoy about curling right like what's fun and they'll be like well it's not fun not you know losing task at hand I think is a big one so sometimes we can get too focused on on the outcome and the results and the score um, and coming back to just let's go out and just do our job do the task at hand end by end shot by shot do all the how parts and usually outcome may come or at least we up our chances of it no guarantees but yeah I think coming back to to like their communication and sometimes big picture I, I sometimes use a phrase of like learn burn return where if you no matter what the outcome is you see value in it right there's something that some nugget you can grab that you learned of like okay man we got to get a better start in the first end or we got to be more aggressive on you know whatever it might be or burn or get rid of the rest don't dwell on it don't ruminate fixate don't spend the next three games thinking about it like you got to grab the nugget and get ready to move on and be efficient in doing that and i think some of the best teams in the world do that really quickly really efficiently skillfully they're not sitting there dwelling in it and sitting in the mud and like this city this sucks you know they're they grab what they need and then move forward mm-hmm. like curling like traveling all the time is really hard these competitive curlers are gone all the time like richie was saying like yeah my schedule is that i usually leave like wednesday or thursday and i go to a long event i come back monday and you know i have to you know he's got two kids 
and uh, he's got to you know balance that, and he has a business that he runs and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, how do you do it? And then how do you like justify that with your spouse? Mm-hmm. But now I know that your spouse is involved in the business, and he's probably like, yeah, <laughs> grow the business, baby. <laughs> Although he was he was at home with our two kids for five weeks while I was gone at the Olympic Games, so he. He did everything, manned the house and the kids and the business, so mm. he's a trooper. Did he do, do a good job? He did. He did a really good job. Well, yeah. now we're really at yeah. the whole purpose of this podcast is how, <laughs> how can Chris and I curl more? Yeah. How do and we communicate the, yeah. this to our wives? You give feedback, right? Yeah. Hey, do you, do you talk about like personal issues? Like when people are like, I mean, we just are club curlers, and we have personal issues with our... not. I mean, everybody does. Everybody does. Oh, yeah. You're human. Yeah. 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 But that comes into how you play. So many years. You know, like, yeah. like last night, I curled at eight. And at seven o'clock, I was sitting on my couch listening to Ruby and Aaron. They were, my Ruby's my 10 year old daughter. They're arguing, you know? Mm-hmm. And that ended. It was really kind of like, and I carried that with me into the game. You know, yeah. so you must talk about that kind of stuff. Absolutely, and I think that's why having a, being a psychologist is helpful when you have the specialty training in sport and performance. But at your base, you're also a psychologist because that's exactly right. Lots of times, performance is the whole realm, right? It's marriage peak is like the great performance. It's, yeah, it's exactly it's regular, <laughs> just counseling for life. And then there's also athletes that are dealing with mental health, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe their difficulties focusing is actually a symptom of depression or something like that. And so being able to address the that whole spectrum is really helpful and, and important. And so, you know, our curlers, exactly, a lot of them on the national team are, you know, they're, they're engineers, they're, they're lawyers, they're parents, they're nurses. They're, they're assistant liquor store managers. <laughs> they're full lives doing a lot while trying to also curl full time. I mean, it, that's a lot on them. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Is there anything you would like to discuss yeah. in the sports world and uh, sports psychology? What insights? What got you, you guys into curling? You've only Uh, been in curling for five years. Yeah. In my life, I'm working on being uh, positive, more positive, because, and actually, I went to a a marketing conference at the U of M, and a woman spoke there, uh, she's the head of the marketing department, and she did a whole bunch of studies about uh, positive messages versus negative messages, Mm -hmm. and uh, it totally resonated with me, because, like, you get one negative message out there, it takes like 10 positive messages, mm-hmm. like a bad loss like hangs with you. Mm-hmm. So I find curling, like I started curling because, you know, whatever, I got into curling. I find that I smile curling all the time, and I'm, I don't generally smile. I just love curling. And I find that if I'm stressed at work or my home life or whatever, I get start curling, it just like goes away. Mm-hmm. And I've never been in a team sport. I was in gymnastics and swimming, and those are team sports, but they're not team sports. Right. It's not like, you know, like, oh, we do all these things. So, yeah, so I find, you know, I, I'm intrigued by, you know, the mechanics of, of how the team chemistry works, and uh, I just find it really satisfying. I mean, it's almost like, it's like zen-like for me, if it's going well. well. Yeah, <laughs> I had to think good. about well, well or good. If it's going well, it's like zen-like. I love that. So, yeah. How about you, Jordan? Cool. Yeah, a couple things. I mean, I uh, I started curling just about three years before Chris. Just amateur curler, grew up in Duluth, didn't know anything about it that whole time, which is a great travesty to me now. There's a, a Centennial Curling Club book here. I was the editor of that. Oh. I started that. They had signs up saying they were putting a book together, and to my mostly untrained eye, after a few years in publishing, it didn't look like they actually had anything going, and they I was right. And it worked out business-wise and, and publishing-wise, and they went with the business I worked for. And so that's I sort of got in through that. 
Even though I sold them on a whole bunch of books. I lived down on Dale and Grand, so it was very close. I'm like, this looks like a great sport. And having grown up playing sports, I I wanted to find something as an adult I could sort of reasonably do. I mean, tennis is great, but it's also very lonely, I think. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of beyond that mentally. And uh, it's interesting. As I get older, I'm actually trying to smile less because I think people would trust me more. Because I'm Chris can attest, I'm a fairly gregarious sort of glass mostly full all the time kind of person. And as I go through a career change now, and certainly as a new father, I'm sort of trying to step back a little bit more. And curling helps me with that. I found it didn't when you know when I started, I was 25, and now I'm in a totally totally different part of my life. And I feel that it is a good way to meet people and to learn maybe a little bit more about myself as yeah. I get older. So. And then we get to travel a bit. Chris just took me to the East Coast. I went to the West Coast with some friends to Seattle. And uh, my wife really loves the community. She curled here with me. My ultimate dream is for Rachel to get back in the club. Oh, fun. Anyway. It's neat to do a sport with your spouse, though. Like, yeah, you know, that was like super a social. Fun. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Dr. Yeah, Anderson. Yeah, it's been really fun. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. yeah. Now you can re- we can drink all the liquor in the international room now. <laughs> now the interview's over. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Cheers. Cheers. Skipper, fast asleep, dreaming of gold. <laughs>